0: Thank you for joining us for another episode of God, Law, and Liberty with David Fowler, president of the Family Action Council of Tennessee. Every week, we are putting culture, politics, and law on a collision course with the truth of God's word. And now, here's David. Welcome to this week's episode of God, Law, and Liberty. And I'm gonna start today a little two, maybe three week mini-series arising out of some things that have taken place this week relative to critical race theory. Now before you tune off and say I've heard all I want to hear about that, I've, I've heard everybody else talk about critical race theory, I, I think I'll be approaching this from a little different perspective today that I hope you will find helpful and beneficial. But the reason I want to launch this little series is in part because its timing is important. Uh, On Monday of this week, the State House began a last-minute push in this last week of the General Assembly to pass legislation that would ban the teaching of certain critical key components of critical race theory in the public schools. Now as of the time of this recording, the Senate has not agreed They have a conference committee that's supposed to be appointed to see if they can iron out their differences and whether that'll happen or not, I don't know. And whether the, the, the report of the conference committee would be accepted, assuming there is one. Again, I don't know. But also in this week, uh, President George W. Bush, or former President George W. Bush, issued a, a, a statement about Republican Party politics and Christianity that smacked of critical race theory having taken over his own thinking about his own Christian faith. And then also this week, uh, Dr. Ben Carson, who was in the cabinet of Donald Trump, and Governor Kristi Noem issued a, a, an editorial, a guest editorial, that talks about America's founding values and God and critical race theory in, in sort of political ways that I think are absolutely not helpful either. And so today I want to take some time first to look at what President George W. Bush said. Next week we'll look at what uh, Mr. Carson and Governor Noem said. And then we may have a third week where we'll look at what some theologians have said, years ago actually, that bear upon how we should think about critical race theory. That had we listened to them, had we lived out what they were talking about, we might not find ourselves in the situation we're in today. Now, before we take up what former President Bush said, we need to know what critical race theory, and it's actually a particular application of uh, critical theory more generally. Now, what exactly is this? And I'll give you just a very short summation of it, uh, quoting from uh, Dr. Neil Shinvi and Dr. Patrick Sawyer which I found on the website of Ratio Christi, uh, Reason Christ. uh, That's a a, a good website for um, historic Christianity, Orthodox kind of Christianity. I don't use that in the sense of Russian or Eastern Orthodox, but the the traditional beliefs of the church that would be consistent with particularly the Apostles' Creed, I guess you could say. And here's how these two doctors, um, professors, explained critical theory. Fundamentally, critical theory views the world through the singular lens of power, okay? So we look at the world from the perspective of power and the allocation of power. That's what explains the world to us. Critical theorists, they go and say, are interested in the power dynamics between different groups. And you can see here immediately, we're talking here not about not individuals but groups, there's a group identity. Now that's important to keep in mind because today we say we hate identity politics. And there's an aspect of that we should hate, but an aspect of that which in fact would be biblical. We'll hopefully get into that, maybe not today, but but he goes on and he says, so it's, it's about different groups. As these relate, in other words, the power dynamics, as they relate to law, economics, social norms, And even truth claims. In analyzing these relationships, critical theorists work to expose the ways in which hegemonic power, comes from the word hegemony, and the word hegemony means the predominance of one state or social group over another. So they're saying that it exposes the ways, critical theorists try to expose the ways in which that kind of power, the power to shape cultural norms, expectations, and values, is deployed to justify and perpetuate the interests of dominant groups. So, critical race theory is simply generic critical theory run through the lens of race or I prefer the word ethnicity to see how different ethnic groups maintain their power over other ethnic groups, okay? Now, we have to acknowledge here, as Christians, that this, this does take place. I mean, the Jim Crow laws were, in fact, laws implemented by a predominantly white, hegemonic society in the South to maintain their place of power, authority, and position relative to African-Americans and blacks. Okay? It's the same thing that Hitler was trying to do with his uh, superior race. Okay? So, we can't just dismiss this and say this dynamic is never in place. It is, and we do see it. The question is whether we should see all of the world through it. As they said, the singular lens through which we look through it. And it's the singular lens of power. Now, let me just stop right here before going go any further about what President Bush said. For the Christian, this must be wrong. Because the singular lens through which we should see everything is in the beginning God. As Romans chapter 11, verse 36 says, For all things are from him, they come through him, and they are directed back towards him, towards his end and his purposes, because they are his. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. As Dr. George Grant said on one of our earlier episodes, So that's the single lens through which the Christian would look to evaluate what's going on in the world, in the culture around them. Now let me just stop right here and invite you. You have the rest of the week and part of next week to register for Restoring the Vision. It's going to be May 15th here in Nashville, 9 Central Time to 3 Central Time, And Dr. George Grant, who I just mentioned, is going to be um, one of our primary speakers, particularly that morning. And it is a God-centered worldview seminar, not a biblical worldviews, values seminar. And there is a difference between the two. If you don't know the difference between the two, you especially ought to come. But if you attend, you will get a better understanding of what I'm saying about being God-centered. I will say this, I'll just throw out the statement, I won't try to explain it today, but much and most of modern evangelicalism is not God centered. It's man centered. It focuses on who is man, what is man's problem, and how can man fix his problem. It does not start with who is God and how do we understand who man is in relation to God, our problem in relation to God, and the solution in relation to God. God is not the first thing, the the dominating principle by which we see our soteriology, our eschatology, or any of that stuff. And that's just unfortunate. But that's the Christian perspective. That's why critical race theory, or any critical theory, is, is wrong. Not because we don't see those dynamics of hegemony in place, but because God is the lens through which we evaluate the use and misuse of power and position in hegemony. You see the difference? Okay, so that is the foundation of what critical race theory is. This is what George Bush said. He was interviewed on the Dispatch podcast, and he was asked about the future of the Republican Party, and here is what he said. Quote, if the Republican Party stands for exclusivity, you know, it used to be country clubs. Now, apparently, it's white Anglo-Saxon Protestantism. Then it's not going to win anything. Okay, so let let me repeat that again to make sure you understand, or I'm not going to repeat it. I'm going to explain it. What he's saying here is, well, with respect to the Republican Party, you can't be exclusive anymore. Well, no, no, to be honest, that's sort of a silly statement because the Republican Party excludes Democrats, Libertarians, right? Unless a Republican means nothing. And the Democrats exclude Republicans. I mean, you, you can't have a party unless the party has some principle that excludes other principles. So that's just silly. But, but the problem is, what he's trying to get at is, well, what is the nature of our exclusivity? If it's exclusivity for the sake of exclusivity, then he's right, okay? If it's exclusivity for the sake of something that's that's wrong or bad, then he would be right, okay? And and so what he's saying here is we used to be seen as the party of the country clubs, the rich guys. The Democrats were the working guy, the blue-collar guy, the average American guy, and, you know, we were the, the white, rich, elitist, rich people. And and so that made us exclusive. And so we weren't open to Blacks or Hispanics or uh, people that had other uh, perspectives or, or other than just that of what, what produces the best bottom line to put money in my pocket, okay? And in that case, he's right. If that's how we're perceived, Republicans are perceived, then, yeah, that's a, that's a bad thing. But he, but, he, but he went on to say, Now we've substituted for country clubs, the rich white elitist essentially, white Anglo-Saxon Protestantism. Now we need to really think through what he was saying. Anglo-Saxon Protestantism was the reformational theology of England and Scotland That came ashore in America and led to the first great awakening, with one of the greatest reformational minds and thinkers in the world in the history of the world, and maybe and certainly in America, Jonathan Edwards. And it was that theology that led the the colonists to declare independence from England. And it was that theology about the fallenness of man and the sinfulness of man and the. the the love of power and glory by man in face and opposition to the power and glory of God that led them to systems of checks and balances and helped form our structures. So what he's saying is this theology was white theology. Why? Because it was developed in an Anglo-Saxon country, was predominantly white, Europeans, right? So that makes it white theology? Oh, come on, Mr. Bush. They were talking about God. That's what they were talking about. That was the, at the heart of the Reformation, was that all of our theology should flow from and flow out of our understanding of who God is, that that informs everything and that man lives before the very face of God he doesn't go through the the intermediary of the church and the the catholic church i mean that was the whole protestant theology was saying everything has to flow from God and that the only mediator between God and man is Jesus Christ and it was a theology of God so Are you saying that the reformational theology of God that led to the founding of America and the structures that we have has to be labeled white because it came from white guys in England and Scotland? Come on, Mr. Bush. Surely that can't be true. But if it is true, think about it, my friends. Then that means that Mr. Bush has conceded that it is nothing more than a power structure that's white intended by whites to maintain their hegemony and their power over non-white races. You've just conceded the whole point of critical race theory to critical race theorists. Now, I wanna wanna touch on something here, that there is no doubt that white Anglo-Saxon Protestants, both in England, and in the United States had slavery. They treated uh, Africans and and blacks terribly, okay? But here's the question. Is it because their theology was wrong or was it because they could not live up to their theology? I submit it's the latter. So what Bush is doing is saying because some Anglo-Saxon Protestants and their ancestry in America did not live up to their theology, we have to throw out the whole thing and label it white. You throw out the dirty bathwater with the theological baby of who God is and what that means for who man is. Come on, Mr. Bush, please. Let's separate the difference between our theology and our ability to live up to it. Now, let me tell you what this theology is, and here's where I want to close for the day. When I talk about this reformational theology was actually good theology. It's the theology that would destroy critical race theory if we would embrace it as Christians, talk about it as Christians, and live it out as Christians. And, and, and so I'm going to quote for you from one of those reformational thinkers, Herman Bavinck. I've quoted from him before. It's from Volume 2 of his multi-volume set called Reformed Dogmatics. So if you want to know if this is the Reformational Protestant theology, well, there it is in the title of the book. And he has a whole section in Volume 2 on creation and what that means and how it applies to human beings and our life together. Now, he says that we're made in the image of God, which all Christians would agree. And I assume George Bush would, okay? Okay. But here's where the reformational view of the image of God brings an end to critical race theory. And had we lived up to it and were we to talk about this is what we actually believe and God forgive us when we don't live up to it, we might be in a better position of responding to persons who only see Christians and white Christians as oppressors. So here is what Bavik writes in chapter 12. Adam was not created alone as a man, and by himself, he was incomplete. He lacked something that no lower creature could make up. Remember the story about he looked at all the animals, and he said, there's not one that's fit for me, compatible with me. He says, as a man by himself, accordingly, neither was he yet the fully unfolded image of God. Now, he bore the image of God But he draws a distinction between bearing the image of God and the fully unfolded image of God. And here's how he explains that. The creation of humankind in God's image was only completed on the sixth day, when God created both man and woman in union with each other in his image. Okay, so he's now saying, oh, so we needed to have something else. We needed to have woman to add to man to reflect more, better, the image of God. He goes on and says, Still, even this creation in God's image of man and woman in conjunction is not the end but the beginning of God's journey with mankind. It is not good that the man should be alone, Genesis 2, 18. Nor is it good that the man and woman should be alone. Upon the two of them God immediately pronounced the blessing of multiplication, Genesis one twenty-eight. Not the man alone, nor the man and woman together, but only the whole of humanity is the fully developed image of God, His children, His offspring. The image of God is much too rich for it to be fully realized in a single human being, however richly gifted that human being may be. It can only be somewhat. I love that word, somewhat. It can only be somewhat unfolded in its depth and riches in a humanity counting billions of members. And there we have it, that God created us for community. He created this great diversity, this ethnic diversity. Because only in creating such diversity within mankind could God begin to give us a a, a picture, paint a picture in the created order for us to see, to see the manifold beauty and glory of who God is. If we could just grasp that, proclaim that, live that, insist on that, you wouldn't have critical race theory and moreover therein we find part of the purpose of salvation and restoration of the image of god in the image of christ who's the image of god you see we've often reduced evangelicalism to salvation of the individual but we are saved into a union with Christ, a mystical union with Christ wherein he is the head and we are all parts of the body. And so God again brings together this marvelous diversity of slave and free and Jew and Gentile and Greek and rich and poor. And he says all of this is displaying the image of God. That I am in all of these things, and in all of these things I can be seen. Do you see the glory of God in all of this? And we turn away. We turn away and we exchange the glory of God for something else. And that something else requires us to come up with a solution to the problems of having turned away from God. And the solution is critical theory, and in America in particular, critical race theory. Mr. Bush, I sure wish you knew your Protestant reformational theology better, and that you would chastise those who have applied it poorly without sticking the label white on it, and then essentially proclaiming what it is you believe to be an instrument of oppression and power dominance when the very gospel says the truth, the truth about God, the truth about the unfolding of the manifold glories and diversities of God and His very being in in the image of God and the creation of billions of people. Oh, Mr. Bush, Mr. Bush, Mr. Bush. Criticize our failure to live up to it. But don't throw it out. Don't make it a hammer by which critical race theorists can look and say, see, even George Bush admits that Protestantism, that the evangelical church, that the church is simply a tool of white suppression, rather than that which sets the captives free. Next week, we're gonna look at what Ben Carson and Governor Noam said, and their answer was different. It was essentially a political answer about teaching American values, and those American values are incongruous with critical race theory. But that's of no help either. And we'll talk about that next week on God, Law, and Liberty. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. God, Law, and Liberty is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information, please visit us at www.factennessee.org. That's F-A-C-Tennessee.org. And please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Fact Tennessee.